Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. The tables have turned. The turns have tabled. The Bucks are now leading three to two. Team USA, we'll get into that on uh, some of the updates there. Wizards finally found their guy and then plead their case. You will ask me a series of questions and I will plead the case of the person or the situation. Let's do this. Like I said, things flip-flopped. The Bucks now take a series lead after being down 0-2. What, what happened with the Bucks? What changed? Well, I think one of the biggest things, if we're looking at specifically this series, is that Giannis has pretty much been consistently good every single game. But I think the biggest difference is that Drew Holiday is now showing up. Um, at the beginning of that series when the Suns were winning, they were getting virtually no production outside of Giannis and um, Chris Middleton. And I think Drew Holiday is really making his impact felt now. Obviously, um, he had his uh, part in the key play of the game. Giannis was the other half with um, punctuating that play with an alley-oop finish. But I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Um, the defense has really tightened up, and they're starting to get a lot more support from their role players. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you said, uh, the role players have stepped up, but in terms of their stars, we talked about it last podcast, they just gave Drew Holiday this large extension. They obviously traded pretty much their future for Drew Holiday, and he did nothing game one. And he slowly got better until now, this last game, game five, he gets the ice in his veins, dagger for the game, defensive steal away from Devin Booker. And then he goes on the other end and lobs it up to Giannis for a ridiculous alley-oop to get the dagger bucket. So he obviously made other plays outside of that during the game, but that's those are the type of plays that he needed to come in and make and get people to stop talking about the fact that he's not showing up, whereas uh, Chris Middleton and Giannis are. Uh, particularly Kendrick Perkins has been very vocal about how uh, cash Chris Middleton has been. Uh, and so it's good to see that the other people are stepping up for the Bucks, And this was a concern that I had going into the series. You had Phoenix, who came off of that uh, great series prior to this uh, against the Clippers, and they went and partied. They went and celebrated as if they had won. And I understand that it's a lot to get to the finals itself, but the Bucks didn't do that. Bucks said we're, we're not finished we're not done and it reminds me of that famous uh kobe interview when he was up 2-0 and so i think the suns got a bit complacent and after beating the clippers and feeling good and feeling confident and then coming in and now being up 2-0 they were like all right we're almost there we're almost done and now they have their backs up against the wall and we'll see what they do uh, in the face of adversity, or rather what Monty Williams says on the other side of hard. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, just to go over some quick hitters on the game, Devin Booker ends up scoring 40 points for the second consecutive game, otherwise has a pretty good game, shooting 17 of 33. Um, Chris Paul finally turns in an efficient game in terms of taking care of the basketball. That's another element that um, I think was – really hurting the, the Suns and their losses. Prior to the Suns going on this losing streak, we were talking about how great of a job Chris Paul was doing of being efficient with the basketball and not turning it over. He rarely ever cost his team any opportunities on the offensive side of the ball. And then randomly on this uh, losing streak, 
He started turning the ball over at least four times every game. This game turns in a solid performance, only turns it over one time to go with 11 assists. But again, um, it just seems that the big three of the Bucks was able to rise to the occasion a little bit more than the Suns could with Drew Holiday turning in his best game of the series, 27 points, 13 assists, three steals. Um, Chris Middleton, some timely buckets, 29.7 rebounds, five assists. And Giannis Antetokounmpo turning in another 30-plus game, 32 points, nine rebounds, six assists. So um, another element, like you said earlier, was people have been giving Chris Middleton a lot of credit for his performances so far. But if you had to pick a finals MVP from either team, who do you think it would be? I, I still think it has to be Giannis uh, for the Bucks, just because Giannis has been so consistent uh, every single game. And yes, Chris Middleton is going to get the ball down the stretch. We've talked about that. Obviously, uh, people on ESPN, uh, Bleacher Report, and, and other uh, like sites talk about how clutch he has been in the closing seconds of the quarter. But it's not about just the closing seconds of the quarter. It's about the every single game grind delivering on all ends of the floor. And I think Giannis has done that the most consistently over all of the games, the ones that they've lost, the ones that they've won. He has not played poorly um, in any of the games, obviously free throw shooting. That's something that is going to be the main focus of him in the off season, but it's that that's not the only thing uh, for the games for the Suns, I think it would be Devin Booker again, same argument. He's been more consistent over the last five games, whereas Chris Paul had a couple down games. So unless Chris Middleton goes off for 60 points or something next game, or you have Chris Paul lead this team for the next two games in points uh, and assists, I don't see how uh, either Giannis or Devin Booker would not get the finals MVP if their respective team won. Yeah, I got to agree with you. Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing something that if you're looking at the stats without seeing the names attached to the box score, his stat sheet looks a lot like prime Shaquille O'Neal with the exception of giving you some added assists and playmaking. So um, I think that as great as everyone has been, Giannis is having a historic finals. And I think that the award is basically his to lose um, with the exception of the fact that I think I have to probably stick with my original prediction of Suns and seven. If the Suns win, obviously, I don't expect Giannis to be um, a player who wins the finals MVP on the losing team. Um, in that case, I would, I would have to pick Devin Booker. But I'm going to go ahead and ride with my original prediction. I'm going to pick the Suns to win in seven games. I think they're deeper. I think it's probably um, – you could probably count on the Suns' team showing up and playing consistently more often than you can count on Drew Holiday showing up with 27 points and 11 assists or um, games that are similar to that. So I think they nodded up at 3-3 again. I think they win the next game. And then, um, obviously, game seven, it's a toss-up. It's going to be close, but I'm going to go ahead and stick with my Suns in seven prediction. I agree with you. I think the only way we have Giannis not win MVP, um, or rather, the only way we have Giannis win MVP if the Bucs lose is if, like, campaign is the main scorer next game and then Jay Crowder is the next scorer the following game. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting. I think it happened before, actually, maybe one time where the finals MVP actually was given to somebody on the losing team. Um, so it's not impossible, but um, it's definitely a little unlikely. But it's been an entertaining series, to say the least. Um, I don't think that if you're a basketball fan, you can look at this finals and be upset. They've largely been playing the game the right way. You don't see a whole lot of flopping and all the extracurriculars. They're honestly playing some great basketball, putting on a show. So um, I think that regardless of who wins, I'm happy for the winner, regardless of who wins it. I agree. It's good to see these small market teams in there too and just not have the same, like all four teams in the Western and Eastern Conference Finals were all teams that for the most part, we're going to have guys that had never won before. So definitely good to see. Yep. But moving on to Team USA and the men's Olympic squad. Before you do that, Jerry West West is the only person to win the NBA Finals uh, MVP while not being on the winning team. There we go. He was the one to do it. All right. So it's happened before. It's possible. But um, moving on to Team USA and the men's Olympic team, The U.S. men's national team beat Spain in the final exhibition, 83-76, after another small scare. Um, They went into that game losing at the half, but ended up winning 83-76. Looking at the game, what do you make of Team USA? They end up winning two in a row to finish exhibition play and have their first official game versus France um, to begin pool play. Do you think that this team has started to figure it out or do you think that they're going to be set to be dealt a couple more upset losses? Well, it's dependent on what you consider an upset. Like if they lose against France, France is a good team and I could totally see them losing against France. Uh, So I wouldn't necessarily call that an upset. Uh, The key part for them is generating offense. And I think the other part that you have to look at is they have, Several people were in the finals who were going to play for them. I think it's Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday all said that they're going to play. So how fresh are those guys going to be? You have Keldon Johnson, who is relatively unknown on the Spurs, and JaVale McGee, point guard, who uh, is pretty much, if you look around, um, the only other American center, like true center that I could think of that they could bring onto the squad. Um, And so they've had a lot of like, changes that have happened with Brad Beal going out, Kevin Love going out, and now Zach Levine is in health and safety protocols as of today. So I think the consistency factor is definitely going to be an issue. Uh, You're going to have to look to guys who have done it before, uh, like Kevin Durant, as well as Draymond Green, to step up in these games. And then obviously Damian Lillard and Bam Adebayo have both been instrumental in the flow of the offense, as well as just scoring generally. So I think it looks like they've had uh, or they have like defense mostly locked down. It's the offensive part that I am questioning for this team. So we'll see what happens. Zach Levine would be a huge loss because he is a microwave off the bench. Uh, But we'll, we'll see what happens. I know Trey young is itching to get in there and he's similarly a microwave. So maybe they replace Zach Levine with Trey young. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Um, John Morant has already said that, he uh, would not be accepting the invite because they didn't consider him from the start. So I guess he's not going to be an option there. But um, if we're looking overall 
at the U.S. through these four exhibition games, we're looking at the averages and we're seeing Damian Lillard averaging 17 points per game through these exhibitions, looking like basically Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant, who is averaging 16.3 points per game, are going to basically take the bulk of the offensive shots, which is probably what you want um, if you're Team USA. Bam Adebayo has been averaging pretty good numbers distributing, averaging 4.5 assists per game um, and providing solid defense. But um, I think one of the biggest things on top of just producing enough offense um, and getting out of their isolation heavy play is to take other teams seriously and respect their range. I've seen their defense back off and sag off a lot in opposing shooters and letting teams just kind of walk into threes. Um, and they're really not taking into account the fact that the three-point line is closer in international play. And making those shots from distance is a lot easier than what they probably would imagine. There's a lot more international players that are capable of knocking down those shots from three in, inter in the international game than um, in the NBA game where the line has more distance. But um, you're right. The France team is pretty strong. France features a couple of NBA players. They have Rudy Gobert. Um, Thomas Luau Cabarro, Nicholas Batum, Nazar Okolo, Evan Fournier, Frank Nilekina. So um, you never know. They'll put up a, fair, a good competition. That's what we've seen. Everyone's giving the U.S. their best shot, in my opinion. I think that any loss that the U.S. takes is an upset because given the amount of NBA talent they have, you would expect them to be the favorites against every opponent they play. But um, again, they've shown that they are mortal, and with the rules allowing for more contact and basically making it so that teams that maybe have a little bit less of skill can stay in the game, they really do have to respect the opposing competition a little more than they've shown through these first four exhibition games if they're going to win the gold. Yeah, I agree. I think that they definitely need to step up, um, and I can see how you mean uh, that any loss is an upset because they are just so stacked. But moving on, the Wizards, America's team, has hired their coach. Uh, Wes Unseld Jr. is the next head coach of the Washington Wizards. What do you, what do you think about the pick? Um, I mean, it's a nice story. It's basically, you can't say it's like a bad selection. It's basically about as good as they can do now that they've essentially allowed all of the top choices to be selected by everyone else. If you're picking from what's available and what's left and you're not really going to be making a splash big name higher then this is probably your guy just because, I mean, the story is nice. It's a feel good story. Wes Unseld, one of the best players ever in the history of the wizards franchise, his son, Wes Unseld jr now comes full circle to coach that team. Um, he had worked previously there as an assistant. He's from there. Um, it would be a nice feel-good story that the kid comes back to his hometown to coach the hometown team and leads them to success. It all sounds really nice and really cute, but I'm honestly a little concerned about whether or not he'll have success with this team. I don't think the roster right now is constructed in such a way that um, he's really going to be able to do much with it. And I think that for him to be successful, they're going to have to give him at least four to five years 
to try to set some kind of foundation there because even though they have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook right now, I don't expect that to be the out um, the long-term look of that team going forward. So um, I hope that he can, I guess, survive the coming turmoil and changes that are going to be coming to that organization because I'm sure there will be coming. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all points. I, I do like the hire overall because I he does have familiarity with the organization. Obviously, his dad was the GM there as well when he worked there as an assistant coach to start his coaching career. Uh, and I think that, um, like you said, the organization, I think, will give him the four or five years because if you've seen anything with John Wall or Bradley Beal, they don't really know when to let go. So I think that they will definitely give him his shot. I think Scott Brooks got five years, so he'll definitely have time. But it's more about what is uh, Tommy Shepard, I believe is the general manager of the Washington Wizards, what is he going to do uh, in order to either retool that roster to make it better for Russ and Bradley Beal or ship both of those guys out so that he can get draft capital and start over and have it be a true rebuild. Because I think a lot of teams, when they meddle around the seven to 11 seed, it's typically because their GM doesn't want to push all of his chips in one direction or the other. You're not trying to go out and get a third star by trading away your future, but you're also not trying to trade your stars in order to get draft capital for the future. So I think you need to play it one side or the other and dive in head first or pull back and let these guys go beyond playoff teams and get the draft haul that you see for the Drew Holidays, the James Hardens, uh, and other stars in the league. Yeah, no, I definitely have to agree with that 100%. I wish him luck. Um, the Wizards organization, I really don't know what direction they're going to go in because even though it would seem that what would make the most sense would be to just trade Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook for draft capital in this very loaded draft right now so that he can give their new coach an opportunity to start having some sense of direction of where this team is going to go. But um, it seems that if the Wizards repeat their history, they'll probably just play out the next season, try to hold on to Bradley Beal as long as they can, unless he demands a trade, have another season where they finish close to the bottom of the playoff seedings, don't really get a high pick, and remain in mediocrity. But, um, you know, if you're a Wizards fan, you can dream and you can hope. Maybe I'm wrong. We shall see. But on to our last segment, plead their case. You'll ask me a series of questions, and I will respond pleading the case of that person or situation. Let's do this. All right, sounds good. So for the first one, Damian Lillard rumors have been popping up left and right that a trade would be requested within days and that it was imminent that he was going to be requested to be moved. Um, shortly after that, Dame comes out and puts out a statement saying that he never said that or suggested that and that in reality, he doesn't know what he will do in the future. He envisions himself as a blazer, but also understands that there needs to be mutual urgency as the window for winning and the precious time remaining on this prime are, are winding down and ticking down. Um, so obviously there's some contradicting statements coming out, but plead Portland's case for why they should believe, believe Damian Lillard and why he will remain a blazer. Well, I can easily plead 
Portland's case and why Damian Lillard will remain a Blazer. Uh, Damian Lillard is signed through the 2024-2025 season. So if Portland doesn't want to trade him, they don't have to trade him. That being said, I think they want to do right by the guy who has done right by them and has been so loyal to them. So I feel that they would probably trade CJ McCollum before they trade Damian Lillard. But I agree with Damian Lillard. Like the way that he was talking about it, he was saying, you know, we're a good team, good locker room, everything's fine. But just taking Terry Stotts and replacing him with Chauncey Billups isn't going to get this team over the hump. And I, that roster is not built to beat all of the teams in the West. It's typically Damian Lillard in crunch time, icing the game or beating other teams. And you don't have the type of firepower to beat the Suns, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nuggets. Like, sure, maybe you win against one of those teams in one series, but overall, the Blazers haven't been able to do it. So I agree with him that they need urgency. The other unfortunate part is Portland, while it is a a beautiful city and in a beautiful state, is not the first place that people think to go. Uh, The I guess only benefit could be that it's right next to the Nike headquarters. So if you're a Nike athlete, maybe like Nike does more marketing with you. Um, But aside from that, I don't see that being as big of a market as a Miami, LA, New York, Chicago, et cetera. So I think it's going to be difficult for the Blazers to do much other than trade CJ McCollum to get, uh, a star in return, or they'd have to significantly mortgage their future to potentially get a rental. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I think Dame stays with Portland, but I think the likelihood of him finishing his career with Portland is lower than what I think we previously thought to start the season. Yeah. If I'm looking at this, what, what I'm getting from this, Damian basically stated that he has gone and spoken with owner Neil Olshie and basically has said his piece on what he expects and wants going forward if he's going to remain with the organization. They say that now they're going to have a meeting with him um, and Chauncey Bellips is the head coach to discuss what their plan is going to be going forward to essentially make good on what Damian wants And I think if we're reading between the lines, what he's really saying is the only way that I stay here is if you trade CJ McCollum. And I know that that sounds like, you know, pretty bold to say something like that because it would seem that they have a good relationship and they're good friends otherwise, been together and have shared a lot of success for a long time. But I think that when he says there needs to be more urgency, something needs to be done. I think that all that implies we need to trade CJ McCollum because I don't know what else it could mean. What else could realistically the Blazers do to acquire an impact piece to pair with, with Lillard that could potentially put this team over the top if McCollum is not included in that trade? I don't think there's anyone that they could acquire that would give this team enough firepower to be able to compete the way Damian wants unless they include CJ in a trade. So basically, that's what I think this means. I think that if CJ McCollum is on the Blazers at the end of next season, then Damian Lillard won't be. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think it is one of those rare cases. I mean, unless there's stuff that we're not privy to, I think it's one of those rare cases that these two guys do really like one another, but it's just coming to 
the acceptance of like, this isn't working. Like I, maybe Damian Lillard needs to have a power forward or a center who is the second star on the team. Like if it was Damian Lillard and Joel Embiid, maybe that would work over having CJ McCollum and having two guards. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it is that sense of urgency of we need, if we can't figure out something where we don't trade CJ, then we need to trade CJ. Yep. I agree. But moving on to Giannis Antetokounmpo, we've covered this a little earlier, but it seems that lots of media members around the league and players around the league don't really give Giannis as much credit and praise as some other players. If you've seen Kendrick Perkins recently, um, in his mind, it's no question that Chris Middleton should be getting the finals MVP. Apparently Giannis isn't crap. Um, we're well aware. He's Robin. He's, he's Robin, apparently. You know, he's, he's not that good. All he does is run and dunk, according to James Harden. Um, CJ McCollum tweeted something out, basically saying the same thing, that um, it should be Middleton's, that he's glad that he's getting recognition. And then Giannis comes out in a video acknowledging that this is the case, that, like, people don't like him around the league. He's seen, he's seen in the video saying, so nobody likes me, right? Nobody likes me. I know, but it's okay. I use it as motivation because I'm not going around making buddies. We all know Giannis famously declined LeBron's invite to train over the summer. We know that Giannis doesn't really hang out with players in the off season. Um, but it seems like for whatever reason, I mean, this guy's putting up Shaq numbers. He's won several all NBA first team selections and all NBA defensive team first selections multiple MVPs, but it seems like pretty much no one really considers him the best player in the game. Do you think that he deserves more credit and less hate from his colleagues? Plead his case. Yeah, a thousand percent. I just don't think that his game right now is the game that the NBA has shifted to. He still doesn't hit the three consistently. He's obviously not great from the free throw line. Um, he hasn't become a true passer yet he still has to work on that aspect of his game as well so he's not this traditional stretch forward who has like like Kevin Durant who can score from anywhere still plays decent defense he is more of that dominant I'm gonna destroy you in the paint and then maybe when you sag off of me I'll knock down a three every once in a while so I think that he definitely deserves more credit I think that just his game is like almost sneakily good, even though we talk about how powerful he is inside, he just racks up points from being in the paint so consistently. Um, and I think also people look at that final two minutes or final three minutes, whatever it is, where Chris Middleton is more of the focus of the offense as, well, Giannis isn't a clutch player. And I think most people would say that Kobe should have been taking the shot when Shaq and Kobe played together. But Shaq was a finals MVP during their championship run. So I think you can still be the biggest impactful player on the game while not having the most flashy game or while not having the ball in your hands in the final seconds. So, yeah, I just think Giannis doesn't fit the mold of what people traditionally think today should be. And that's likely why he doesn't get as much brand recognition from his peers. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he definitely deserves a lot more credit, too. 
And I think that in addition to the points that you made, I think that a lot of the reason why people don't like Giannis is because Giannis is so different than a lot of the other players, not just in playing style, but in terms of personality. If we look at Zion Williamson, he also has a similar thing as Giannis going on where he essentially gets, I'd say probably 70% of all of his points, if not more, in the paint. And probably not the best three-point shooter, not the best free-throw shooter, not the best shooter overall. But whenever Zion has a big game, everybody's tweeting it everywhere. He's the next coming of Jordan. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be on the Mount Rushmore basketball. He got put on the cover of 2K in his, I think, second year in the league. I mean, they shower him with praise, and his game is kind of similar to Giannis's. So I think that a lot of it, too, has to do with the fact that they don't like his personality. He's just very different. He's from Europe. Um, he comes over here with a completely different upbringing. So there's that cultural barrier between him and a lot of other players. But then there's also the personality difference. He's a lone wolf type of guy in a league that has increasingly become buddy-buddy. You see guys like LeBron and a lot of guys around the league always hanging out with one each other um, in the offseason, posting pictures together, tweeting at each other. This is my friend. This is my buddy, all that stuff. Giannis, on the other hand, is completely secluded from all that. He's basically like, I'm only with my teammates and I'm not with my teammates. I'm with my family. I'm literally doing either basketball with my teammates or I'm with my family. When he answers the questions in the interviews, there's never any, I guess, any of that. Um, I don't know if you can describe it as like an American flair, but it's just every answer that he gives is basically just predictable coach's answer what you want to hear if you're a coach always just a politically right answer to say we got to work harder we got to do this I think that bothers a lot of people but they're like you know he's such a goody two shoes all he ever does is play basketball like they look at him kind of as a recluse and I think that that has to deal with a lot of why he doesn't get as much credit too just because I think that he doesn't really have a relationship with that many people around the league and I think that when other people praise a lot of these other players, they like to praise people that they feel like they have a relationship with. And he doesn't really seem to care about building relationships with um, his colleagues. So I think that has a lot to do with it also. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It, to, to him, like family is more important. And I think um, not that for other guys, family isn't important, but he, I think, feels whole and feels complete by his family. And like, the best thing the Milwaukee Bucks can continue to get, do is to continue to have Thanos on the team with Giannis because that probably brings joy to him every single day of like, I get to practice and play with my brother every single day. And if they could bring Costas over, bring Costas over. Like, just bring all of his brothers over and he will just continue to be a delight and be happy on that team. Because like you said, he came to the league with a different perspective than most players and he... I think we talked about it two or three podcasts ago. As soon as he got to the league, sent all of his money, couldn't even afford a bus ticket to the practice facility because he immediately sent all of his money to his family. And that's the type of player that he is. You have a lot of guys in the league now who, as soon as they get in the league, they buy a mansion, they buy a sports car, they buy the newest bling. And yeah, he sent all of his money back home to his parents so that they could afford to, to live. And, and 
also look at his work ethic from when he got into the league to now. He was a stick figure when he got into the league. He might have been smaller than Kevin Durant, and he has become massive because of his off-season training and in-season training to be such a dominant player now. So he, I think, puts in the time, puts in the work ethic, and like you said, if if you're not on his team or you're not in his family, there's a good likelihood that he's just indifferent in terms of establishing rapport relationship or really hanging out with you. Yeah, definitely a player that, um, you know, he beats to the rhythm of his own drum, but I definitely respect that. And I think that I, I love his competitive nature. And I think that if he wins the finals MVP and he gets his ring, he'll do a lot to start changing his perception around the league. Cause I mean, at that point, what can you say about him? He's pretty much at that point, won every accolade that is meaningful to win. But I'm um, all right, moving on to his adversary in this series. Despite scoring 40 points for the second game in a row, Devin Booker was asked during a post-game interview question, how frustrated are you for Chris right now? Getting a really pissed off reaction from Chris Paul um, because clearly the context of what's going on here is um, Devin Booker, despite having that 40-point game, had that really crucial turnover at the end of the first quarter when he coughed it up to Drew Holiday um, towards the end of the game, essentially costing the Suns the game at the end. And the question was framed in such a way as if almost to blame Devin Booker for impeding CP3 from getting a ring. So obviously Chris Paul didn't really appreciate it, but plead Devin's case for why this was an unfair question given his performances so far in the finals. That reporter, if they don't work for like the National Enquirer or some ridiculous news source should be fired. Like that was such a stupid question to ask. Like you don't think that Devin Booker is mad to start uh, you don't think that Devin Booker would be disappointed not winning a championship this go round because getting to the finals is hard. Ask Charles Barkley. He only went once. He lost. Like, even though Chris Paul is towards the tail end of his career, this very well could be the only time that Devin Booker ever gets into the finals. So, of course, Devin Booker should also be upset. But then, too, you're trying to create this internal strife between two people that are literally sitting right next to each other and have bonded extremely close over the course of the season. And you have somebody in Chris Paul who is the president of uh, the Players Association amongst other things in the league. So definitely from a political aspect or political nature is going to know exactly how to answer that question if he even wanted to entertain it. So I just think it was such a like waste of a question and a waste of airtime and just created this tension that didn't need to be there uh, between not Devin Booker and CP3, but those guys versus the media. Yeah, definitely. I think, honestly, it is kind of unfair for Devin Booker. He has really played great throughout this entire finals, and I do think that somehow, some way, if the Suns do lose this series, they're going to find a way to somehow imply that it was Devin Booker's fault that Chris Paul didn't get his ring and that if Devin Booker would have played a little better then maybe Chris Paul would have gotten his ring. I'm not saying that's fair. Cause obviously, I mean, the guy scored 40 points twice already. 
um, is obviously the leading scorer of the Suns and has otherwise played great outside of um, the Dutton game. I think it was game three where he didn't even break 15 points. But other than that, I mean, the guy has been killing it. So I think that you also have to take into account the fact that people magnify so much the end of the game. Like you said earlier, you don't just win the game in the last minute. You have a whole 48 minutes to play the game and make an impact on it. And yes, it was unfortunate that he ended up having that turnover at a very crucial point in that game, but they wouldn't have maybe even been in a position to be close if it wasn't for the 40 points he had already put in. So you have to take that into account too. Um, and I hope that going forward, the media realizes players aren't just going to fall for um, trapping questions like that, which are meant to try to basically be clickbait by um, engineering turmoil between teammates. So I think that probably the rest of the finals, we won't hear a question as stupid as that. But um, I guess we'll see how it plays out. That's all we've got for today's edition of Court of Opinion. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. You know that we always share all the best insights, and latest stats. Um, definitely send us a message with your opinion. If you disagree with anything that we say, we'd love to hear your feedback and tell you why you're wrong. So for Court of Opinion, I'm Mike Stir. And I'm Eric Gonzalez. Court is adjourned.